Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. All right, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. We're starting the second chapter of Galatians. And let's see what the Lord has for us. The entire chapter, Paul continues to hit hard on his defense of gospel truth. We're going to do a quick overview here. I just want you to see some things before we dive in. We're only going to cover, well, we'll see how far we get. Look at verse number 2. Communicated unto them that gospel which I preach. Look at verse 4. False brethren unawares. Verse number 5, scan your eyes down. Truth of the Gospel. Verse 7, when they saw that the Gospel. Verse 9, the grace that was given. All the way down to verse 14, look at truth of the Gospel. Verse 16, not justified by the works of the law, justified by faith of Christ. Verse 17, justified by Christ. Verse 20, famous Uh, passage of Scripture, I am crucified with Christ, Christ liveth in me, gave Himself for me. And then verse 21, the grace of God. All of this, he's hitting hard on his defense of the Gospel. Let's pray before we get into verse number 1. One more time, Heavenly Father, help me tell the truth from Your Word. Help it to be understandable. I pray Your saints would be edified by Your Word Amen and amen. All right, verse number one, let's read. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. So look, it says, then 14 years after. Well, after what? After he visits, after he visits Peter, if you see, you go back to verse number one, you can see that. Uh, let's read verse 15. We'll just read a couple passages there. But it please God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. And now, so 14 years later, 14 years after, here he goes up up to Jerusalem. Now, I want to just kind of stop and park on this thought. And I guess the Bible doesn't give us exact... I I can't get exact on this, so, so try to stay with me. The next part of verse number 1, it says, I went up again to Jerusalem. So when did he go? I think we have two options. If we get over to Acts 15, all right, go to Acts 15. Let's see if we can figure something out. This is option one. This, the only Jerusalem visit that Paul made that could possibly line up 
with Galatians chapter 2, verse number 1, would be this right here. Acts chapter 15, verse 1 through 5. And just when I read it, look how the circumstances are similar, the issues are similar, the conclusions are similar, the people are similar. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. So you can take Acts chapter 15, these first five verses, and you can line it up with Galatians chapter number two. It's option number one. Or maybe it's a special trip that Paul made to Jerusalem that's not recorded in Acts. That could be a possibility. Hear me out on this. Before Acts 15 and this convening of the apostles and elders or this Jerusalem council, which is happening in Acts 15, right? Maybe Paul goes there before that. He lays out this case in Galatians 2. These legalizers follow him back and they start spreading their doctrine. And now the issue is finally settled in Acts chapter 15 by this Jerusalem council. Since this legalistic ministry is spreading, Paul, under the Holy Spirit inspiration, he pens Galatians. But the reason I say that maybe this is an option, when we read Galatians 2, we don't see Paul making any mention of the four requests that the Jerusalem council made. In Acts 15, go back there. We'll, I'll, I'll just show them to you real quick. If you're already there, go down to verse number 19. It's a possible possibility. <laughs> he says in verse number 19 of Acts chapter 15, Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, now watch, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols, that's one, and from fornication, that's two, and from things strangled, that's three, and from blood, that's four. And now verse 29, we go down, he sums it up again, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, there's one, and from blood, there's two, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. We don't see any mention of this in Galatians, so that leads me to believe a possibility could be, and it was a special trip that he made, and then the issue is finally settled in Acts 15, and then they come together as apostles and elders there. We're also going to see some other stuff as we go through the Galatians that might line up with that view as well. Either way, 
The Bible says, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem, who does he take? With Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, why don't we go there since we're already in Acts 15. Go back to Acts 4. Acts chapter 4, the Bible says, and Joseph, Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Acts 4, 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Now I want to stop Paul's and Park right here on this word consolation. Because our King James Bible has this word translated correctly. The NIV and the ESV change that word to encouragement. Now the New King James Bible, they're going to retranslate it as encouragement, and then they, in, in the footnote they're going to say, or consolation. Now if they would have stuck with the King James, they would have had it right, but they didn't. But there's a difference. And I just want to park on this. You say, well, it's only one word. It is only one word. But every word of God is, is pure. And we want to study the Bible. We want to know what the Bible says. And we want, to, we want to start understanding these things. But here's what encouragement is. The act of giving courage. <laughs> it's confidence of success. To motivate people to action. To give people some incentive. Consolation is so much more than that. It, it, it encompasses so much more. Consolation is alleviation of misery. It's spiritual refreshment. In time of stress, consolation helps to strengthen our minds. Consolation is the cause of comfort. How do you get to comfort. You get there through consolation. Folks, this is Barnabas. <laughs> He's not just some old encourager. He's the, he is called the son of consolation. He helps people get to the place of comfort. Now, maybe it's by encouragement, but maybe it's helping through alleviating some stress and strengthening his mind. That is Barnabas. And in Acts chapter 11, watch what, watch what is penned. This is good. This is good. Let's, let's all strive to be a Barnabas in, in this manner. Acts chapter 11, verse number 24, the Bible says, for he was a good man. Period. Nope. Because it doesn't stop there. It's a comma and full of the Holy Ghost, period. No. It keeps going. And of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. That's pretty good. We all need a Barnabas at times. We need to take a Barnabas with us at times. We need to pray that a Barnabas would come at times. I could never preach. I could never... I can never open air preach. I can never pass out tracts. I can never do all these things, Brother Jimmy. Well, maybe you can be a Barnabas. <laughs> maybe you could be someone that is a good man or a good woman and full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And many people are added to the Lord because of that. 
We got this thing where we got to be some superhero Christian or God can't use us. That is the furthest thing from the truth. Farthest thing from the truth. <clears throat> and then he says in Galatians chapter 2, look, look what else. And took Titus with me also. Uh, he was Greek, which means he was a Gentile believer. He identified with Paul a lot. He received a letter from Paul. He actually has a book that bears his name. Paul calls him mine own son after the common faith. All right, Galatians chapter 2. Look here. Uh, verse number 2. The Bible says, And I went up by revelation. I really trust that you're here this morning. Somebody has to preach the Bible. But do we want a revelation from God's Word? Or do we want to meet on Sunday and get Brother Jimmy's opinion on something? I have opinions. Do you have opinions? I have convictions. Do you have convictions? I have standards. Do you have standards? I do weird stuff. Do you do weird stuff? Do you want to hear about that? Or do you want to know what God's Word says and apply it to your life? That's what you want. I'm not going to tell you the dream that I had last week. I don't want to hear your dream. At least not from the pulpit. It might be fun at lunch, but we all have ideas and, 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 and we all have opinions. But God, He communicates truth through His Word. You know what that means? That means the shack is out. That book that came out, some people, I know, my life has been a good life when I compare it to people who have lived through horrible situations. I talk to some men, some women, some boys, some girls. I read books. I watch DVDs about Christian missionaries and Christians. And I think to myself, my life is a skate in the park <laughs> but i've had some hard times i can't relate to some of the horrible things that people have gone through we all harbor pain which they say in our own little spiritual shack but when we have a book that doesn't line up with god's word what are we going to go with we've got to be able to go with god's word God's Word is where truth is communicated. As Christians, we are asked by God to please, please obey that truth. All of us right now, we can leave here from church and we can go and do whatever we want to do. And you know what? The earth isn't going to swallow us up. I want to serve God. I want to love Jesus more. I want to be a better Christian. God's not going to swallow me up in the earth if I don't obey Him. I'm going to suffer the consequences of not obeying Him, and I will lose out on the spiritual benefits that God says He will so greatly and abundantly bless us. Notice I said spiritual blessings. God communicates His truth from His Word. Christians should obey His Word. And you know what's going to happen? 
the enemies of God's Word will just criticize that truth. You try to go into... You, I, I told this a couple of weeks ago. You send Brother Kelly and I over to the largest mega church in Tennessee, and Kelly's going to teach Sunday school, and then I'm going to preach on the Sunday morning service. People would be weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth, running out into the parking lot like we just shot the Easter Bunny. They're scared to death of a man standing up preaching and reading words from God's holy book. Why do we need lights? Why do we need cameras? Why do we need smoke? Why do we need mirrors? Why do we need to have gals dancing around? Why do we got to bring in all these worldly music and all this worldly movies and get all this stuff to attract people? Isn't God's word sufficient? Why are we excited about that? We bring in Pokey the Clown and have everybody have a good old time. Oh, here comes pretzels. He can juggle. <laughs> I like to be entertained. I like to have fun. I do. But why are we so numbing people's souls and their spirits? Because we're afraid to read the Bible. I just can't understand it. Can't understand it. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 2. The Bible says, um, and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now look at the theme. Watch well, what he says in verse 2. And communicated unto them the gospel. He's laid it out. which I preach among the Gentiles. I'm presently preaching it. It's publicly being proclaimed. In other words, he's consistent in his words and he's consistent in his actions. I'll tell you, here's how you destroy a relationship. It doesn't matter if it's a, a, a spousal relationship, a family relationship, a work relationship, a neighbor relationship, a church relationship. Here's how you destroy the relationship. Your words don't line up with your actions. It's a horrible place to be. We, we just saying, oh, how I love Jesus. Yet we go out and we do all the stuff that Jesus said, that's bad for you. <laughs> how do we love him if we don't keep his commandments? Husband says to his wife, I love you. And he goes out and does what he wants. His actions don't line up with his words. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm for the company. I'm for the company. Really? I just found out you put in five applications to our competitors. <laughs> Your actions don't line up with what you say. Not with Paul. He's trying to give it to him straight. And then he says, but privately to them which were of reputation. That's probably James, Peter, John, possibly other leaders or pillars or VIPs of this Jerusalem church. But Paul wanted his motives and his beliefs and his views to be known privately as well as publicly. And, and this wasn't the thing with Paul. He wasn't... He didn't have apprehension about preaching the gospel. That's done deal. The apprehension was these Judaizer legalists are coming in and they're trying to get people to change and go back to Jewish law, feast days, sacrifices, commands, all these statutes... Now we should impose them on Gentile believers. 
All right, and here's where it's going to get a little, a little scary. Brace yourself. It doesn't matter what your tradition is, and it doesn't matter what your custom is. Gentiles are justified without the law, without custom. And they certainly were not necessary to be saved. Can you see why a Jew would have very strong opinions and convictions and standards about the law? It's what they were brought up with. We can't impose traditions and say, we've got to have this as part of Christianity. Trick-or-treating, Valentine's Day... Easter, Jesus rose from the dead on one day. Easter, it changes every year. I dare say Christmas. All of these things, we can do what we want to do. I'm not saying anybody's not a Christian. I'm not saying anybody isn't saved. But for us to say, we've got to have this or we're not right with God. We've got to have this or we're not a Christian church. We are. We are. Somebody wants to put a tree up, fine. If somebody wants to go on an egg hunt, fine. And when Easter rolls around, I'm going to lay it right down the line on a great resurrection Sunday. I, 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 I am. I'm going to give a great resurrection message. We have a resurrected Savior. I'm going to do that. But I'm not going on an egg hunt. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He paid for our sins. He's alive. I know. Let's go hide eggs. How about no? How about Jesus Christ? And we're not going to get into, we're not going to go buy a church van and start driving around Putnam County and try to stop everybody from doing egg hunts. Because that's not our mission. Great, let them have an egg hunt. It's, it doesn't matter a hill of beans to me. I want to get in the church van drive around Putnam County, find where a soul is. Do you know about this Jesus? Can I tell you how you can know for sure you can have your sins forgiven? Strip it down from all this nonsense that we say, we gotta have, we gotta have, we, gotta, we don't have to have. We've got a living Savior. We don't need our traditions. If you have a tradition, if you have a custom, Fine, keep it, but don't let it be a point of contention when it has to do with the Christian church when it doesn't matter. We have something so much more, so much better. He wants to meet with the leaders. If he can influence the leaders and he earns their favor, he's going to get a little bit more he's going to be able to make the thing work a little bit better so that's where he's at now we'll we'll come back to the tradition and the custom thing because we'll we'll just need a break from that i know my wife tells me i'm a bit much um so we'll we'll take a breather we'll, this is in between rounds we'll, we'll and look what he says less by any means less by any means look at this I should run 
That's what he's doing now. Should run. Here's his reasoning. What I've done in the past, he says, or had run. So what he's saying, lest by any means what I've did before or what I'm doing now, is it in vain? Is it worthless? Have I wasted my time fighting these legalists? This is this phrase now that has been penned. So again, he's got no apprehension of preaching the gospel. It's not the point. Are these guys going to add works to it and then nullify the whole thing? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior and in the merit that He gives you? If you answer yes, and you've called upon the Lord, you've trusted in what He's done, we don't have to add anything to that to be saved. Now I'm telling you, Brother Jimmy, I know that. I've been saved. I know that. I know that. Why? Here's why we have to be careful. Even when witnessing to people, are you ready to turn from all your sins? If we ask a lost person that question, that's loaded with, I have to stop doing a bunch of stuff before I get saved, which easily turns into work salvation. Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you just enough to know the point. Before I got saved, I stopped drinking liquor. Before I got saved, my reputation, do you hear that? My reputation was on the line. So I wanted to demonstrate good character. That did not save me. Even though you can run across a Christian. We, we, we went and preached the Blues and Brews Festival that they had in Cookville, and we'll do it when it comes up this year too. You'd be surprised how many people getting free liquor say, I'm a Christian, Jesus is okay with drinking. Jesus turned water into wine. Christians. Now who's saved, who isn't? The lost man that quit drinking or the Christian that wants to you know, let loose every Friday night? One has a poor testimony. The other can easily think that he's right with God, but he's not because he hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ. Now when I said all that, do you see how it gets to the point where someone would say, yeah, but I know a Christian that drinks and I can't believe that you could be saved and do all that. It's a poor testimony. And I am not advocating any Christian drink liquor at all. I'm 100% against it. But what I'm trying to paint to you is this picture of when we add works to the finished work of the cross, meaning... You have to stop doing this in order to be saved. And you have to start doing these things in order to be saved. You can put on a suit. You can wear a dress. You can quit drinking. You can throw out your marijuana. And if you don't trust Christ as your Savior, you're a lost person hellbound. You've got to trust in what Jesus did for you. And then he will clean up your life. He will. You just trust the Holy Spirit, yield to Him, and He will. That's the power that we have. 
I hope that made sense. I really do. Does the gospel change with the culture? Harry, you're not my potter. I don't care how many books it sells. It's immersed in the culture. That's what the culture is. That's what the kids read. That's what's popular. Oh, she can relate to the kids. Harry is not my potter. He's not. I don't care if everybody reads it. I don't care if the megachurch preacher says that I'm over the top. I don't care. I care what God says. I want you to care about what God says. And God's going to build His church. And God's going to put the right people here at the right time. And we're going to trust Him for it. But I'm not going to host some worldly movie to get people in. Not doing it. Not doing it. Kelly won't let me do it. <laughs> but here's culture. Here's culture. Physical improvement. Physical culture. Discipline acquired by mental and moral training. It could be refinement in manners and taste. We're working uh, it, it also to educate. We're working with that with our children. We're culturing them. <laughs> culture, the act of tilling and preparing the earth for crops. Culture, it's the labor we put in to improve something. People say, farmers say, we ought to blame the culture, not the soil. It wasn't the soil's fault. We didn't prepare it right. We didn't culture it right. And culture, for our intensive purposes, the list of all the items of the general life of a people group. This representation of the whole is what we call its culture or the civilization. You go to India, you go to Africa, you go to Mongolia, you go to one of these uh, countries where the gospel is going to be preached, you go to Indonesia, there's going to be a culture there that's different than our culture. I'm going to ask you a question. Are we going to not support a, are we going to support a missionary that changes the gospel? We're not. We're not. Because the gospel changes culture. The culture doesn't change the gospel. Now let me ask it this way. Are we going to not support a missionary if they go to India and get rid of the American McDonald's diet and they start eating Indian cucumber smoothies? Do you see the difference? Cucumber and yogurt smoothies are popular. It has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. If I go there, I am going to kindly sit down at their restaurant or at their home and I'm going to eat the food that they offer me and I'm going to be thankful for it. I'm not going to complain and say I want a Coke and fries and a cheeseburger. I don't try to change the culture. In that situation, does that make sense? But when I look up on the wall and they have Vishnu and Krishna and all these different Hinduistic gods, and they say, now we're going to have prayer time. I'm not praying to those gods. 
I am there to find an opportunity to give them the gospel that will not change. And even though Hinduism is steeped in their culture, the gospel can change that culture. Things in someone's culture that doesn't matter, let it be. So, here's the gospel. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. I hope uh, everybody all right. If you're all right, say amen. I feel like I'm throwing a lot out. Amen. Okay. I feel like I'm I'm throwing a lot out at you. And I'll, I'll slow down a bit. Here's the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I declare unto you the gospel, which I have preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. But which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. First, I delivered unto you. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. It's straight from God. We've received the Gospel, and now we're sitting in a sin-soaked world. When I was in high school, my I had four best buds. Two of them were brothers. And their father had a boat. I'm talking a big old boat. It was docked down in Cape May, New Jersey. Which, by the way, is where I met my lovely wife in Cape May. On the way to Cape May. And he would take us out on fishing trips. Which was awesome. Imagine being a high school teenager and being able to go out and do something that you couldn't afford to do on your own. <laughs> well, he had the boat docked and in the marina, and we would go, and we'd go out, and if we went tuna fishing, we'd, it'd be three hours. You'd have to go out two and a half, three hours before you can even drop line and go tuna fishing. Well, when we got back, that's when the real work started. And believe it or not, you're just sitting on a boat. You go out three hours. It wears you out. When we get back, guess what we have to do? Clean the boat. <laughs> yeah. Clean the boat. Why? Because all of that salt water, all of that gunk from the tuna that you pulled up is all over the boat. You can't let it sit there. All of that salt water on the boat for a season starts to eat away at the boat. At the end of the season, so we, I mean, it would take us at least an hour and a half to clean off that boat. At the end of the season, you've got to winterize that boat because that salt water will just eat away at it. Barnacles start to form on that and it'll start to weigh it down. It'll start to erode all that salt water. What do you scrape off the boat? The paint? No. You leave that. The whole hull? No. You leave that. You need that. You got to take off all the stuff that isn't necessary and can harm the boat. We live in a world. The gospel, by default, comes in contact with culture. 
And we are surrounded by traditions. We are surrounded by rules. We are surrounded by all of these things that people want to get us to do. What do we scrape off and what do we leave? That's the question. Things that don't matter, keep doing them. Things that matter, according to the Bible, we should be willing to give them up. Because if we don't, it will weigh us down. The same way the boat will be weighed down if it's not winterized, if it's not cleaned, if the salt water isn't washed off, if the barnacles aren't taken care of, it's going to weigh that boat down. And as Christians, after we get saved and we trust God, what do we keep? What do we scrape off so it doesn't wear us out and wear us down? A lot of times, we are our own worst nightmare. Do we scrape off bitterness? Yes. <laughs> do we scrape off anger and malice? Yes. Do we have to keep doing the things that we did? Now, if you, depending on what you got saved out of, our lives can be very, very different. If you got saved out of a drunkard's home, you are going to have to scrape off liquor. It's not going to help you. Didn't say you weren't saved. Said if you want to grow in the Lord, if you want to get, you have to get rid of that. If you were brought up in a Jewish home and you get saved, imagine what it was like back then. But now you're going to have to give up all of these feasts, or at least say, I know that it's not going to merit me salvation in God's eyes. If you were brought up Roman Catholic, oh boy, we had a lot of stuff. So what is it in your life that you've got to scrape off? I don't know, you know. What is it in your life that you need to keep on? I don't know, but you know, it's between you and God. But some of us need to winterize the boat. A couple of questions. Have you or have I added anything to the gospel? We can't. Legalism is adding works to the gospel. Legalism is not saying, I love Jesus. And I want to obey the Bible. And because that Bible principle says I ought to stay away from that. Then yes, I am going to tell my children we're not reading books about witchcraft. Now, when the modern megachurch calls you a legalist, you are not a legalist. If I were to say that is something that if you don't give up, you ain't saved. Okay, now we got a problem. We're not talking about salvation. We are talking about now that I'm saved, I want to obey God. I want to do what's right. I want to obey the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. That's right. I want to do that. I'm not adding that to salvation. We, 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 we okay? Everybody, we get it? All right, let's grab Matthew 7. We'll tie this thing up. Matthew 7. Three questions concerning the gospel and culture. 
Do we have a different Gospel in Galatians that we need to accommodate Jewish culture? Or, can the Gospel only accommodate one culture? Or, do we have one Gospel for every single culture? That's what we've got. It doesn't matter the culture. When the Gospel goes into a culture, the same effect happens with clothes. People put them on. You go into these third world countries and they're running around naked and all this kind of stuff. You know what they do when Jesus Christ comes into their life? They get clothed. And they're sitting there clothed in their right mind. Every single culture will have that. And we can just go on and on and on. One gospel for every culture. That's what we have. We don't have an American gospel. We don't have a Jewish gospel. We don't even have a southern gospel. (laughs) Amen. We've got the gospel of the grace of Christ. That's what we've got. Now, Matthew 7, we're in there, right? By the way, when we moved... Boy, that was stressful. I don't know why I went back there. Um, I'm going to need the son of consolation. When we moved, we had a pack some things. But you know what we did with some other stuff? We sold it. And we, or we just gave it away. In other words, when you move, everybody does this when they move, they go through in their mind, this, this isn't even worth keeping anymore. It's just not even worth bringing anymore. Let's just chuck it. Let's just give it away. Let's just eBay it. But then there's other stuff. You're like, no, I need to bring this. We pack it up. Same thing. Our Christianity, we get saved What stuff we just got to get rid of? And what stuff do we need to keep? Our cultural convictions cannot become our church convictions. Matthew 7, verse number 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Isn't it easy to see the stuff in others? I mean, it is. Especially when you're in a relationship for someone for any length of time, you start to see their quirks. If you're an employee and you have someone work with you, the first week is great. And then after six months, you really get a feel for, well, they're late every Tuesday. (laughs) Right? The neighbor's fine when you first move in until, you know, they got binoculars and they're spying in on you. I mean, right? We can see it in others. And God wants us to say, okay, look. Can we take a look at our own lives? I'm preaching to myself. Let's look at what we've got before we look at what others have got. What is it we need to strip away? What is it do we need to keep? What is it that we need to fight about? What is it that we don't need to fight about? 
Be careful of pointing out the barnacles on somebody else's boat. We should all clean our, <laughs> we should all clean our own boats. Probably none of us can afford boats, but we can think about it. <laughs> right? Well, here, no, here's one. We can all see the dirt on somebody else's cowboy boots. Why don't we clean our own boots, right? Amen. Amen. All right, I hope it was a blessing to you. I hope it was edifying. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful. So grateful that we have Your Word. Help us to strip away the things we don't need. Keep the things we do. Help us to be careful about pointing out other people's things that they should scrape off before we take a look at our own lives. Lord, help us to keep the Gospel simple. Death, burial, resurrection, all men everywhere need You. Help us to cut through the chase, cut through the noise. And help us to be a church family that wants to win others to You. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.